Grail here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. Special episode. This is our third episode in three days. We're giving you a ton of UC-related content to listen to as you uh, you stay home and quarantine. So plenty to get to. I am joined by none other than Justin Williams, who is co-hosting with me today, and our special guest, live from the beach, Cincinnati head basketball coach, John Brannon. Justin, hello. John, hello. Good morning. Hi, Chad. Hi, John. Coach, uh, take us through this, man. What For somebody that is as active and nonstop on the go as yourself, what has this been like having to slow down and, and kind of figure out a new way to be productive and effective? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, the first week when we, uh, you know, I guess – First weekend when it would have been the conference tournament, uh, I was, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I, I didn't, I was still numb over the not being able to play in the NCAA tournament and, and the being canceled. And so I was really out of sorts and really uncomfortable and, you know, concerned about where the virus was going and things like that. And then as the week went on, it was spring break for our guys. Uh, so that kind of enabled us to kind of take a step back uh, in, in a breath and try to figure out where we were at. And, things have really kicked into gear in terms of uh, finding out what the new norm is now this past week, meaning a lot of conference calls, a lot of Zoom sessions, a ton of recruiting, watching film. So you, you, it took me several days, if not a week, to, to, to find the new norm. And I feel like we've found a comfort level on that right now. Justin? I know you're not like a, a hobby guy, but I'm guessing you have a little bit extra time. Have you found other than, you know, spending having some nice weather at the beach, have you found something outside of basketball to help get through this, whether as a, a hobby or a coping mechanism? Yeah. So I need to qualify to be in the last week during the guys spring break, we had the option of coming down with some friends to a beach house. And Lisa at the last second said, let's, let's just drive down and see what happens. And we drove down and thank God it's been great. We, we actually switched to a different spot and brought our family down this week and, you know, uh, able to, so I don't need hobbies when you got the beach in front of you. So we're able to go out there. We're in a, we're in a private section. So we're able to kind of hang out without, because all the public beaches are closed. So it's, it's been really good in that capacity. You, you work all day and then you're able to go outside and do some things. So, I guess my, my lack of a hobby uh, will be tested more when I get back to uh, Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky uh, at the end of this week. Good. I was going to say, you don't think you're going to get by with just passing it off as we're down here with some friends, do you? <laughs> <laughs> that, I figured you guys would make much bigger of a deal of that than I would. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it's not a big deal. You guys vacation together regularly, right? Like this isn't something that's out of the norm or out of the ordinary yeah. for you guys. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Our children are the same ages and our, our wives are really close. We just, we've been friends for years. All right. I'll let you continue, Justin. <laughs> I, your wife once told me that you, you know, you're a competitive guy. So even like family board games, card games, it's, you know, that's kind of impossible for you to turn off. Have, have there been any moments like that at the beach where maybe the family's getting together are, are you able to just play a board game and, and and kind of turn that side off or is that always there even in a quarantine so uh, i won three straight uno games <laughs> the fastest pace you could ever win them i mean it was the quickest if there's a record for uno wins i accomplished fact, on the third game we played i had a draw for the last card 
94 feet both ways, even even in Uno. And then we played Family Feud last night, and my our, our side was called the Bearcats, and the Bearcats won in decisive manner, despite the fact that I was called away for the last three segments on a recruiting call. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, who, uh, who was on that recruiting call? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I figured I'd try. <laughs> Coach, uh, on the recruiting front, uh, how different is this world where basically everything is shut down? There, there's You can't visit anybody. No one can visit you. There's no spring recruiting that's coming up here in April. And, and really, all that you and you got, your guys have are the relationships you've already previously built. And then every name that pops up on the transfer market. What's navigating this been like? Uh, well, it's been it's been interesting. You know, it's become more like in-season recruiting for, for me who doesn't get out a lot during in-season, which means a ton of watching on tape, evaluations on tape, which basketball is the hardest sport to evaluate on tape. I mean, you know, I've talked to football coaches before. They do a lot of their evaluations on tape except for the skill positions, typically. And Chad, you don't know this better than I do. You know, the quarterbacks, the receivers, yeah. and things like that. For basketball coaches, evaluation on film is very difficult so it's because it is such a skill sport. Um, so it's, we've been relegated to that. Uh, we're, we're coming up with virtual tours of campus. We're, we're right now, you know, we're, we're expediting. It's like, you know, companies that are doing different things to stay afloat. We're, we're expediting doing things we've never done before, like virtual tours of campus that we try to get out to recruits, but we're not done with those yet. Or, you know, different graphics that we want to send out to, to let them know what it looks like. Because right now the grad transfers in the 2020s that are available they're meeting with their families and deciding, okay, are we going to make a decision without seeing a campus? Are we going to make a decision without meeting with the coach face-to-face? You know, are we going to do a FaceTime and a Zoom session to try to make up for what would normally be a home visit? We're, we're, in, we're in that area right now where those decisions are being made. we got to be progressive. we got to be ahead of the curve. And we're, we're working day in and day out uh, diligently, our staff is, to try to produce those things to be able to get to our recruits. How how quickly have you been able to get up to speed on things such as Zoom and, and FaceTime and uh, the technology that's now becoming almost an essential part of the, the, the job? Yeah, we should have bought stock in Zoom. Uh, we were all smart. <laughs> we would have done, done that a week ago. So uh, thank God we got a great staff. You know, our video coordinator, uh, George Nielsen, is a lead at that. And despite that we're all remote from each other, uh, we're all in separate spots. Uh, he's able to help me figure that out. Uh, so, I mean, I got on the Skype session today without any help, which I thought was a miracle in itself. Um, you did a great job. But, 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 but George, thank you. But George has done a great job with that as well as Craig Heatherly. Uh, we, have, uh, we, do, we do staff meetings on Zoom three times a week. Uh, we're doing a Zoom session with our basketball team when I'm done this morning with this podcast. So we're, we're learning how to utilize all of those forms of technology. Has there been any time to to reflect, to look back on the season, to to think about how it went, the ups and downs, and the overtimes, and and what a what a crazy journey, what a crazy ride it was, getting from you know November to to the beginning of March. No, that's that's a, that's a valuable question. It's a it's it's something that I go after every season and, and do Chad evaluate it, and I really evaluate in the terms when I'm done with the evaluation. I always ask the question. Do we underachieve or overachieve? I'm not quite there yet, but I will tell you that, you know, I knew that I anticipated most of how the season went, obviously not seven overtimes. 
but to give you a kind of a synopsis from my view, standard, you know, viewpoint is, you know, to start seven and five with the schedule we have, uh, you know, I really felt like the media had wrote, written us off. I felt like the outside people had written us off. You know, we had to win all those games to, to get in the NCAA tournament, and we didn't win them. You know, Ohio State's, the, the Xavier's, the Iowa's, uh, you know, those games that had to be won, at least one or so of those to get to the NCAA tournament. And then we dropped some games that, you know, uh, we didn't anticipate dropping. And then the start of the year came, and we went 13-5. and five. And we won, you know, what, you know, five, six straight games. We won at Wichita State. We won against Houston. You know, we beat some very, very good basketball teams. And now all of a sudden we're in position to be in the NCAA tournament. And it's amazing how things can change in the course of a season when as a group of men you don't get caught up in what everybody else says. And uh, guys stayed the course. Uh, you know, adjustments were made. Focuses were narrowed. Games were improved. Guys stepped up. And we won the league regular season title. So, you know, all in all, I think, you know, we had obviously a very successful season, put ourselves in position to go to a 10th straight NCAA tournament. And as you said, as many people wrote after the non-conference schedule, that was impossible in a lot of people's minds, including some talk shows across the city of Cincinnati. It's probably Justin that you're talking about, isn't it? I, honestly, I thought the media did a great job all season long from from my personal standpoint. <laughs> um You've, I, just, I mean, you didn't go do ahead. a good job. I just said what was remote. <laughs> you've, you've had tough tasks before. You, you know, you took over a Northern Kentucky team that's just coming into Division One this past season. All those things that you just mentioned, kind of how the season flipped there in conference play, is that? Do you feel like that's your best coaching job? Was this the toughest season you've had, or how did it maybe compare to some of those Northern Kentucky seasons, or maybe even seasons when you were an assistant? Yeah, I think one of the things you've gotten to know with me, Justice, I don't qualify things or, 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 or you know what I mean, or quantify them, I should say. Um, I just kind of take each year by year. Uh, it was probably the most um, emotionally and physically exhausting seasons. And what I mean by that is I don't know that I've ever coached a, a season where every game felt like it was a you know, a, a playing game or a tournament game. That makes sense. I mean, being mm -hmm. on the bubble late in the season, every game meant something, you know, early in the season, figuring this team out. So I think I, the way I would judge it is it was the most emotional and physically and mentally draining season I probably had as a coach. Uh, challenging, if you want to qualify, you know, if you want to say it's challenging, it's great. Uh, but, I, you know, I've had some challenging seasons before, so I wouldn't necessarily compare it to anything else. All of those close games specifically, you know, I think it was five double-digit comebacks or something like that. When you're kind of looking back and taking stock of the season, any one of those games stand out in terms of after the fact where you like, I knew this was tough, I knew we made a big comeback, but I, I really can't believe we, you know, came back on the road against South Florida or came back from 15 down against Houston. Did one of them kind of stand above the others? Well, you know, the South Florida one stood out because we didn't have Jaron and we didn't have our home crowd. So that, 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 that was probably one that stood out probably the most. But I take it – I look at it a different way. I look at it as in the beginning of the season, had someone got up 15 on us in the second half, we weren't winning that game. In the beginning of the season, had someone gotten up on us by 13 or, or whatever that may be, we weren't winning those games. And I think we all would agree upon that. Where late in the season, we handled the adversity to the point where we were creating our own adversity a little bit too much but we handled the adversity that we could not handle early in the season. Uh, you know, you were writing about early in the season, we couldn't handle leads. Well, we, mm -hmm. we were going to be able to, in, in late in the season, you know, we, we could handle being down. So 
it just it morphed itself. I think you saw a team that grew exponentially during the course of the season. And uh, that's, as a coach, what you want. I mean, you want to be playing your best basketball late into the season. You want to be playing your best basketball in conference play. And I've always said the truest form of a champion is to win your regular season. And I'll continue to say that in all the years I'm coaching. I think any coach in, in a moment of honesty will always say that. Are you actually like going back and watching these games start to finish after the season? I will. Yeah, Justin, I will. I'm not there yet because we're we're such in recruiting mode right now. Uh, that's yeah, it's funny. That's my May. So that's my main. That means this year. So that's that's another thing we got to reflect upon and figure out how we're going to attack. But every possession of all our conference games will be watched evaluated and uh, you know written up and decided upon how we're going to uh, continue to take our program whether it's uh you know in the moment when you're on the sideline or when you're going back and watching i, I know you're a guy who loves basketball you have, have played the game studied the game your whole life are you able to appreciate individual moments individual plays like you know obviously you know a shot like trey makes at the end of the temple game but the the pass that jaron the bounce pass from jaron made against houston or the dunk keith made against memphis are you only coach mode or are you whether watching it after the fact or in the moment are you also able to kind of be a, a basketball fan and appreciator at times like that not really i mean i think you're just so focused on the next thing when the game ends you're focused on how to make the team better and you really don't see those things mm-hmm. again totality you appreciate how great Jaron Cumberland is. Okay, it's not the one play that you notice because you're so consumed about the next play and the next game, but the totality of his abilities and his talents are what you look back on. And you say, "Wow," you know, and and it's unbelievable what he was able to do and accomplish with the with the ball in his hands. You know, the totality of Trey Scott's energy, and oftentimes as a coach, you really really appreciate it when you don't have it. So. Uh, that, that's where you it's where you appreciate even more. But in the moment, you just your mind's so focused on the next thing that you never you never take that in. Mm-hmm. John, going through this first year in the AAC, um, was it what you expected competition wise? I know it was probably more physical th- than you thought the league was going to be. Um, but but overall, what what were your th- thoughts on one year through uh, playing in the American Athletic Conference? I, I was I was surprised by the physicality at the, in the block and the interior physicality that was allowed to happen. Uh, I was I was surprised more at that than probably anything. Um, everything else, there, there was no real surprises. I didn't expect as much zone coverage as as, as played in this league. I, I think I expected them played a little bit more man. Um, and and you know each each league has its own personality. Uh, I remember a Pac-12 coach called me last summer and wanted to talk about our offense and, and things like that. And about halfway through the conversation, he said, you know what, I'm asking about your man offense, but half our league plays zone. And now that coach Cronin's at UCLA, more than half our league will play zone. So it really doesn't matter if our man offense is that great. Each league has its own personality. And uh, I, I think the majority you know, the top teams are in our league all play man. So I was surprised at how many teams do play zone outside of that. Not really. Uh, you know, I think there's great coaches in the league. I think there's outstanding home environments in the league, of which we're, we're the leader in that. Um, so not, not a lot of things surprise me, uh, other than maybe the, the, the points that we just mentioned. Take me through the Sunday after the Temple game. It's your father's being laid to rest. 
And right in the middle of that, you have the the Wichita State Tulsa game. Um, uh, were you able to to keep your mind off of what was happening in that game with everything else that was going on? I know it was an, an incredibly difficult time for you and your family. But when it hit six o'clock, how did you find out that you had won the league title? Like, how did how did all that play out? I know you wanted to watch well, on your phone. Right. Well, I, well, I think you know. You know my family. I, I think if you know our family, then you probably know the answer to this. You know, Dad would have if Dad would have said, "Listen, we we got to put this off this memorial service <laughs> because we're playing for a championship today." And so, because of that mindset. Uh, I didn't have to have my phone on me. I didn't have to find out because I probably had 15 different relatives come up and give me updates. And I didn't ask for them. Like, this is the score. This is what's going on. So I knew pretty much to the minute what was going on in the game because everybody felt obligated or felt like I wanted to know because that's just the way dad was. So, um, you know, we were, it was for a championship, obviously, because if Wichita had won, if they did, we were going to win a regular season title and be a number one seed. So, uh, you know, it always goes back to the, the person that's important in your life. What would they have wanted? And it was a joke that dad would have wanted, you know, either to be delayed or a flat screen in the church so we could all watch it because that's what he would have been doing. <laughs> so, so every person that came through the line, they were responsible with giving you the latest update on where the game was at <laughs> before they offered their condolences. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty long line of different people, but the, a lot of people were giving me updates. That's for sure. Justin, the talking about looking back, the kind of the totality of the season. You know, obviously, winning the the share of the title that'd be a pleasant surprise. That the way everything ended would be a, kind of a, a bad surprise. Was there anything else though that when you took a, a little bit of stock that you were just like whether because of the way the season started or the way someone developed over the course of the season, something that you were just like this this turned out better than I actually thought either to start the season or maybe even halfway through. Well, I think a pride, a pride that I had was just the, the, the way that this team developed and the way, you know, Trey Scott went to being you know, an elite, elite basketball player in our league, the way Jaron Cumberland played through an injury that nagged him the entire season and found a way to lead us to a regular season title, the way, you know, our coaching staff, you know, I thought our assistants were outstanding in their ability to get me thinking in the right direction and and, and making the right choices. And uh, I just felt the overall development of our program, despite the fact that we could have looked at it and been like, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to get to, we're not going to get to our 10th NCAA tournament, or we're not going to be in a position to win another championship and to accomplish those things. And I do think we were going to the NCAA tournament. So to do all those things, I, I think there's great pride in that. I told our young man, that's what they need to take pride in because they were able to, really overcome a ton of obstacles and a ton of adversity. And so the, to, to get specifically answered, I think pride would be the biggest thing. I think they, a lot of pride in, in being able to handle that adversity. I mean, the way we lost that Colgate game was I've never lost a game like that in my life. And, you know, they always say the longer you coach, you'll always find new ways to lose a game. That, that's one of the new ways to lose a game. And then to come back and beat, was it Tennessee the next game? Yeah. You know, with the, with the, the double-digit lead the entire game the number one t 21 team in the country and that speaks to the young men that you have in your locker room whether it's that tennessee game or i think it, it was the wichita home game after the ucf loss you know I, I think it's really easy for 
fans or you know certain media members to come into those games after those bad losses and just feel like you know there's no chance that they're they're done they're toast after a loss like that how do you feel and and how do you keep your players and your staff from maybe feeling those same thoughts that can easily creep in in those situations well you challenge you challenge who they are you challenge you know hey are we the care are we are we the character we say we are are we the team we say are do we have the toughness is one of our core values because if we say that we're these things, then we're going to come back and practice the next day, and we're going to be elite. And one of the things you have with young people is they recover very quickly, okay? Especially with today's athlete. I think this, today's athlete is as good as any athlete ever with, with how big and strong and intelligent they are. They recover quickly. And when you have a group of winners, and I, and I told our guys this at the beginning of the season when I said, I said, I'm standing in front of a group of men that win, and you're going to be coached by a group of men that win. I mean, you got to look at the championships. If you accumulate the championships that have been won by the senior class and by the coaching staff the last four years of both sides of that, that's a lot of winning. Okay, so when when the moments came, we were eight and one after losses this season, and that speaks to our guys' character, their toughness, and the bottom line is they're winners. John, a lot was made when you got the job about a, a previous existing relationship with Trey Scott. Um, I know you knew him some when you got the job, but but what was it like really getting to spend that much time with Trey and, and really digging in on not just how good he became as a player, but how amazing he is as, as a human? So, yeah, exactly. I mean, you never know someone until you coach them or you, you spend a year with them. There's an old saying, coaching, you don't get the book on something unless you spend a year with him and uh trey is um a guy i always paid attention to how his career was going it was easy to do once i got this close when we were only seven miles apart when i was in northern kentucky but just to watch his uh he's got an innate ability to care about those around him before he thinks about himself that's that's extremely unusual especially at his age and i struggle with it at 46 and i've got a family um, he, he's really, really elite at that. And I think it comes from the family he comes from. And then to watch his basketball maturation was, uh, you know, I, I said in the media, I'm not surprised, but and I meant it, but 25 and 17 at UConn on national TV on a Sunday afternoon, whew, that's pretty darn good. Um, so, you know, th- th- those things are really impressive. When you look back on it, it was, it was a joy to coach him. Um, you know, every coach has his challenges. I mean, Trey, Trey's got a competitive streak in a way of accepting criticism and coaching that's takes a little while to get used to. Like he, he, he doesn't accept it at first and then he accepts it after the, the first. And so that, so there was good, there, there was good Trey that I got to know. And there was Trey that I was like, Oh, interesting. I didn't know that was a part of the equation. <laughs> so it was, you know, it, it was a little bit of both. And, uh, but the totality of it was a young man that grew a tremendous amount. And as I said before, I, I, I'm going to be in his life for the next 40 years because he makes me better. On the flip side with Jaron, things weren't easy from the start. A lot of that just because he was injured and wasn't able to really be on the floor for you. But as the season wore on, you talked about seeing the Jaron that everybody was telling you about on the floor. And off the floor, it did seem like you guys grew particularly close as you went through the battles together and and you were able to get to really know each other and, and let your guard down, let the walls down. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, you know, for me, you know, Everybody made a big deal about moving him to the point and things like that. What really came to the Memphis game when I saw the pop that he had and the way he was moving, it was something that I always wanted to do. 
but it just he wasn't in his shape and he wasn't in the he just didn't feel healthy enough he was he wasn't he wasn't healthy enough and once he got healthy it was like wow this is a no-brainer and uh you know and, and it just kept developing and developing and he kept you know he became the player that we all knew and, and i don't know what this means i mean some came to me and said for a stretch he played the best of his career in a certain stretch of games i just know he's a great player and he's the most unselfish great player i've ever coached um i love him to death i talked to him yesterday we talk uh, if not every day every other day uh, via phone or text and uh, so the things that were made up because of a one game suspension that had nothing to do with personality conflicts or anything like that it, it was was overblown and, and i'm almost irritated that i have to talk about it because of the fact that if you really knew it uh if you read our text messages and our conversations you would think the exact opposite justin what did you you know i think after that colgate game it, it was early he still wasn't totally healthy and you know i think fans were just a lot of them were kind of fed up with with the way that game ended and the way things seemed to be going what did you say to him what did, what did you tell him to kind of block out all that stuff or for you guys to come together on the inside well i mean he texted me the night after the colgate game and apologized i'm like what are you apologizing about i mean you're, you're putting us in position to win these games we'll, we'll never take you know I apologize to you. We're not really going to take one moment, singular moment, and define who we are or how we play. And you're dealing with a guy that's playing through injury. You're dealing with a guy who's playing through pain. And, you know, listen, he made a mistake at the end of the game. I've made mistakes at the end of the game. And, you know, I, I, was, I was mad that he felt that way because he shouldn't. And you know, this, is a, this is a team loss. And uh, he understood how I felt. I think he appreciated it. It was like, you know, Coach, I know you got my back. And, you know, the bottom line is, you know, we're dealing with a great player that played through injury that had a tough moment there at the end of the game, like we all had, you know, in a strange way. And, and, and we were able to come back and win the next game well. And he was first team all conference, put himself in the player of the year race again. And uh, despite playing through all the things he had to play through. Uh, the other kind of notable returning players, Keith, and that's obviously someone who, you know, project to get back next season. What from, you know, a player as athletically talented as he is, first of all, have you ever coached someone at that level? And then how do you kind of harness and, and use that towards your coaching on floor philosophy? He's an elite finisher. I mean, when he go, he's got an unbelievable, that's a gift. I mean, He's got an ability to finish around the basket, like you know, as well as anybody I've ever coached. And that's not just athleticism, guys. That's touch. Uh, that's a feel for finishing at different angles. You know, the you know the guys that can really finish around the rim finish at different angles in different ways. And he's got him. He's got all, all of them. Um, he's a guy who's really worked on his jump shot. You know, where I want to see Keith take the next step is ownership. You know, taking ownership of his 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 getting better. The areas that he's got to, you know, continue to firm up ownership of the team's success, ownership of his teammates' uh, uh, commitment level and and their growth, and when that ownership can take place at a high level, and that's been the biggest adjustment for this basketball team is taking ownership, and that's what I'm trying to develop in it right now is to take ownership in the things we do, and you know, I, I tried to, I try to model that, you know, every single loss, every single tough moment. You know, I, I didn't send an assistant out to do media. I did the media. And those were done intentionally because I want our guys to take ownership in their mistakes and take ownership in their uh, 
and, and, and their joys and their accomplishments. And it needs to be both. And, uh, you know, Keith, I want to take the next step in that area. You know, Trey, we want him to be defensive player of the year. Keith should want to be defensive player of the year. Um, he's elite in a lot of areas, and he's got a growth mindset. He wants to get better. Keith Williams never missed a practice. Never, not one time missed a practice. Uh, his toughness level and his commitment level to getting better every day uh, was something I really respected at a high level, and I fully expect him to take the next step. Because if he does take the next step, then you're, you're you're dealing with a potential player of the year, first team all conference player. The 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 fourth re- returning player guy that maybe had the most growth. Uh, Mamadou is a, another phenomenal kid, but the game hadn't slowed down for him yet. How did you get him to the point where things slowed down and all of a sudden he was a guy that was was able to help you uh, playing, you know, in crunch time in a lot of games down the stretch of the season. There's a saying, Chad, that we use in our program that goes beyond basketball, and it's a great parenting quote. You will get, you know, your, your children or your players or yourself, you, you'll get it um, over a long period of time all of a sudden. So if you think about that for a second, it'll happen over a long period of time all of a sudden. And for Mamadou, I think that happened. You know, the game slowed down for him. He started taking care of the ball. He wasn't turning the ball over. Um, we <laughs> We had a funny moment where we were mean one day, and, and he was turning the ball over in practice nonstop. I mean, it was just like, you know, Coach Donovan used to joke that he was gonna he was gonna turn you know Jason Williams, the, the the great point guard, to play for the Miami Heat and stuff. We were teammates. He was gonna start calling Jason Apple turnover and Cherry turnover because it was just <laughs> it was just constant turnovers. And I was getting ready to rename Mamadou, you know, like Apple turnover. And we're sitting in the office one day, and he goes, Coach. I know I turn the ball over a lot in practice, but I don't turn it over that much in games. <laughs> and, I looked at his, and I looked at his stats, and by, by God, he was right. He was like, he wouldn't turn the ball over that much in games. And partially because he wasn't playing that many minutes, and we weren't putting him in a position to turn the ball over. But he was kind of right. So we started taking the game film and showing him more of the game film than the practice film. And he just, he, to his credit, he got it over a long period of time all of a sudden. And I, it was really the end of the, the Iowa game. I don't believe in watershed moments, but the second half of the Iowa game where he just, you know, prior to that, he was really questioning his own uh, worth to this basketball team, just specifically in basketball terms. And in the second half of the Iowa game, he stopped thinking about how many minutes he was playing and started thinking about how well he was playing. And once that happened, he freed himself up. He became a much better teammate. He became a, even a better guy to coach. And he flourished. And uh, towards the end of the season, he was a guy that was doing more than just, uh, you know, rebounding and running the floor. How confident were you when he steps into a three? He was confident. You know, I, yeah, no, I, re- I really like when he gets to the free throw line because he, he's a really good free throw shooter. And, you know, one of the things that you and Justin have tried to do for the last two months is get me to comment on Mamadou's three-point shooting. <laughs> And I haven't done that yet because we haven't gotten to the point where that needs to be addressed. <laughs> Have you ever had a, experienced anything though with like the way the crowd? I, I know you heard it those couple times where he would catch the ball out on the wing, and the crowd is like basically begging him to shoot it. Have you ever had a situation like that? I don't know that I've had a situation like that. Uh, it is really interesting, and uh, you know the thing that Mamadou's got to understand about our crowd: we have the best fans in the country, but they will not beg you to shoot that. That shot when you start missing that shot. <laughs> okay, so that, 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 that it becomes something totally different. So let's continue to be what we're good at, and we'll continue 
continue to grow our game in the other areas. <laughs> Go ahead, Jay. So the young guys coming back, you know, you talked a little bit about how Zach kind of came in with these, you know, maybe too high expectations. Um, and he was obviously battling some injury stuff too. Micah maybe is a little bit more of a surprise in terms of people. I don't think expected him to come in and play as, as much as he did. Uh, obviously Jeremiah came in and, and played some big minutes for you, but because of the way this all happened, where you came in a little bit later in the off season, and then a lot of these guys, especially Zach came in really late. How did you personally feel about their development and, was did, did you expect maybe even more or less out of any of them this past season? And how do you see that translating moving forward? No, that's a great question. So, you know, Zach, for example, you know, I think he had tremendous development. Now, he, he, he doesn't probably see it as that much because of the minutes and things like that. But Zach Harvey is extremely talented. Um, he, is, uh, he can really score the basketball and has his entire career. But I think if he was truly honest and truthful – He's improved greatly defensively and in making the right decisions with the ball and making other people better. So that's going to come out of sophomore year. So now he's going to have tremendous confidence in guarding because he's already proven he can do that. He'll have tremendous confidence in making other people better. And he already knows he's an elite scorer. So what happens oftentimes in this system and, and what happens with, with great players like Zach is they develop those other parts of their game and now when they're called upon more to do it, and he's going to be a huge part of our team this coming year with a much, much larger role, uh, is he's going to be prepared to touch the game in so many more ways than scoring. And what happens for college guys is they'll often look back and say, gosh, if I only knew this now in high school, then we would have been, I'd have been so much better high school player. Our, our team would have won so much more. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's really, he really advanced in those areas uh, and, and will continue to. And Micah is a guy that um, – you know, was really called upon, you know, as Chris McNeil, who was really, really, really helpful for us, you know, wasn't producing at a high level. You know, Mike was asked to come in and, you know, like anything else, you know, you're given a few minutes, you play well, you're given a few more minutes. You play well, you're given a few more minutes. And he didn't blink an eye. He continued to play well, and he knew pretty quickly that the only way you play as a freshman is if you defend. And uh, he was defending at a high level. And then the second thing is the only way you play is if you take care of the ball. And he was taking care of the ball at a high level. And then when Jaron came to the point guard, we were able to move Micah off the ball and then have a secondary point guard on the floor. Because Ma- Ma- Micah's a multi-position guy. He's not a singular, he's not a one-position guy. And that really helped us a great deal. And then, So he, he's a guy that if he continues to build his body and build his mentality, he'll be a, he'll be a constant in our lineup for years to come. Uh, and Jeremiah just, you know, I, I signed Jeremiah because I loved his energy. I loved his his work ethic. I loved his winning mentality. I just loved who he was. You got to pull him back instead of push him forward. And for him to have the knee injury, uh, the, the same knee and the, the meniscus again, I, I hated it for him because uh, how much work he put in. But he brought a great deal to this basketball team. And we don't win a regular season title without Jeremiah Davenport and the energy he brought every day. And nobody will attack treatment harder than him and therapy harder than him. I can't get him back on the court because he makes us better every day. Coach, you've got three recruits coming in that are already signed, uh, one committed that's not signed that you can't talk about yet. But Mike Saunders and, and Gabe and Mason Madsen, uh, three guys that will help you on the perimeter for years to come. Uh, start with Mikey and then and then move on to the, the twins. Mikey, a guy that you've known since he was in, what, sixth grade, seventh grade, and, and the relationship yep. with that family 
and why you trust and, and put faith in him to be your potential, you know, floor general of the future, uh, and then take me through the game of both Gabe and Mason Madsen, too. So Mike was the seventh grader, I believe, and he was at my team camp. Uh, I guess it was Northern Kentucky at the time. And uh, he was walking. He's played for a really, really great high school program, one of the top programs in the state of Indiana. And uh, I was talking to his dad, and I'm like, God, his, his arms were like down to his ankles, right? And he just long. He walked like a basketball player. And so I watched the game, and, you know, I, I never mentioned this when they're young, and I looked at his dad, and like, he's going to be a heck of a player. And then we just kept that relationship and had a really, really solid you know, family-like relationship over the years. They came down to the team camp consistently. So when he became one of the elite point guards in the country uh, and I transitioned to the Cincinnati job, it became very obvious who our future point guard was going to be. Uh, so Mike's uh, got speed that you can't, you can't uh, put a price on him. He, he, he's as fast from, from one end to the other as anybody in the country. Uh, can't keep him out of the lane. He makes other people better. What he what, what he's really improved is he's physical, so he can really defend full court. You know how we pick up full court sometimes and don't trap? Or we yeah. just turn the point guard. He's going to be really good at that. And then the other piece is he's really improved his perimeter shooting and his overall taking care of the basketball. So he's a guy with all the tools set that you need to be a great point guard. Our fans are really going to like his dynamic way he plays and the flair at which he plays the game. Uh, you know, I'll start with Gabe. Gabe is a guy um, really uh, caught my attention when Sean was out to watch him play. And, and I think it was a spring A or late spring AU event, early summer AU event. And he uh, got an elbow to his nose and just completely obliterated his nose, like completely. I mean, broke it in three different ways, right? Goes out of the game and Sean's like, dang, I'm not going to get the evaluation I need to get a hold of coach. Comes back in the game and finishes the game. And just I mean, his toughness level is off the charts. And then mixed with the fact that he's six foot five, he makes shots, he can put the ball on the floor. I anticipate him being a scorer at this level. And when you got a guy like a Zach Harvey who can, you know, make a play at the end of a shot clock, a Jaron Cumberland. You know, I, I put a Gabe Matson in that, you know, make a play at the end of a shot clock when you need a play, when it doesn't matter what kind of play you draw up, you just need a stud to go do something. You know, I think he's that type of player. Uh, Mason, um, you know, is, is, is his dad put it the best way you could put it, and we're on a podcast, so I guess I can talk like this. Um, <laughs> his dad, who's his dad, who's his high school coach, said, um, told him one day, he said, Mason, you know, you don't have to chase being an asshole all the time. And what, what, he meant, what, what he meant by that is he's an irritant. He's a guy that he's the guy you don't want to play against, but God, you want him on your team, right? competitive, tough, physical. I mean, he's he's the guy you're picking up in a pickup game or the national championship game. You want him on your team. And for me, the recruitment of those two guys were separate unto themselves. And, you know, we recruited them the way I would want my twin daughters recruited in that we didn't recruit one to get the other. If, if, if Mason wanted to go somewhere else, we would have took Gabe. If Gabe wanted to go somewhere else, we would have took Mason. Because both of them bring a tremendous amount to the team. Mason's a knockdown shooter, can play multiple positions, um, and, he, and he's from a coaching family, as, as Mike is. So uh, I just think those three guys and then our other uh, commitment really represent who we are uh, as a coaching staff and how we want our program to be represented. I was talking to Mikey over the summer, um, and we were talking about his game and, and improving and getting better. 
And he pointed out to me, he said, the problem with my jump shot right now is that my upper body moves so fast that it's difficult to get my feet as set as I need to be to be a consistent shooter. Um, so what I need to do is, is working on how to manage my upper body and getting it in line with my lower body. And, and that struck me as a kid that really understands the game, a kid with an incredibly high basketball IQ. And you just mentioned it there. Mikey's dad's a coach. Gabe and Mason's dad are coaches. These are three guys coming in that, that bring a very high value and understanding of the game with them the day that they walk on campus. You're not going to have to coach that into them. No, tremendous IQs, really learning the game. Um, you know, may we all have a talent level that forces us to make an adjustment, right? You're so fast that you have to make an adjustment in other areas. I guess that's like Justin Williams writing an article. He's so, elo- <laughs> he's so eloquent with words that he has to stop and be able to evaluate what was just written. So, I mean, you know, Mike, 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 to be that talented, I mean, you know, I, I don't have that ability, so – you know, those guys, and I'm half joking because Mike is that talented. Uh, those guys bring tremendous basketball IQ. They bring toughness. They bring buy-in. They're committed. They love the University of Cincinnati. Love the University of Cincinnati. And can't wait to put a Bearcat uniform on. I'm going to uh, remember those kind words when you tell me don't chase being an asshole at some point, probably over the offseason. Um, <laughs> I, so I have a really important question, but I, before we get to that, I, I don't want to leave anyone out. I want to give you a chance to talk about Chris Vogt, who you know I, I think maybe as, as you guys started to play really well down the season and, and his numbers dropped a little bit, that people might lose sight of just how vital he was to, to where you guys were this season, and especially early on. Yeah, so we, we keep um, we keep offensive and defensive leverages as a part part of our advanced metric numbers, and they're they're more advanced than the plus minus that you see at the end of the game where you say, oh, that guy when he was on the floor, the team played better. His defensive leverages, meaning when he was on the floor, we were four times better, better defensive team. Okay, so what he brought in terms of shot changing, shot blocking, and everybody wants to say, well. His ball screen defense, coach, that, that can't be right. Well, it's the same way we're in a staff meeting. One of the coaches says, well, you know, our late shot clock defense is very good. Well, if you go back and look at the numbers and evaluate every possession, that's not the case. It was the fact that we gave up an offensive rebound. It wasn't our late shot defense. So Chris Vogt actually defensively changed our team for the positive over the course of the entire season. The other piece is uh, offensively, he required so much attention in the post and so much attention with double teams that it, it was like it was a, it was a different form of Jaron, right? He opened things up for the for Trey. He opens things up for other guys because of how much attention he brought because of his early season scoring. So you know, like Javon Cumberland on the court, he may not be making shots, but the attention he takes from the defense opens things up that the average fan doesn't see, and the, and the coaches don't see maybe until you go back and look at on film. That's the value that Chris Vogt brought. Uh, now that being said. You know, he lost some weight during the course of the season, so he's got to he's got to understand he's got to maintain his weight, he's got to maintain his strength. He did have a shoulder injury late that wasn't talked about that really affected him. But the bottom line is he's got to be able to sustain that physicality throughout the year. I did think that it was way too physical in the post, and I thought that that hurt him a little bit late in the season. Uh, those are things that that I've got to do a better job of preparing him for, and he's got to do a better job of preparing for here in the off season. Can uh can we talk about your wife's Twitter account? We should put her on the podcast and make her talk about her Twitter account. <laughs> We'd love to. 
you know, I think people, first of all, just do you, I know you see this stuff. Are you like slightly terrified when, when you open up Twitter on your phone? Like what, what picture of from my childhood is, is my wife going to have put out to the world? How, how do you feel about it? So let, let me qualify this as saying my wife is, is beautiful and is amazing. And Coach's wife is right next to you. <laughs> and no, she's actually not. She's not. <laughs> she, 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 she does things that, that amaze me each and every day. So, and she's got a great sense of humor, which I think comes out in those aspects. I also have no control over what she's going to put on Twitter. <laughs> so, uh, what she puts out there is strictly her. Uh, every once in a while, I'll get a text. What do you think about this? Or do you think this is appropriate? I'm like, sure, honey, that's fine. I don't think I've said no to anything. So uh, I think the fans have enjoyed her. She's, she, she's, she does it in a fun-loving way. Uh, I know she, she jokes with the officials. I mean, there's nothing that's arrogant or, 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 or you know, meant to hurt anybody. So I think she has a good time doing it. And that's just her. She's, she's always the life of the party. She's always the one. We, we balance each other out pretty well because I'm always not the life of the party. And I'm always <laughs> I'm not always the great quote. She is the great quote. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised that as future years go on, she's the one taking more of the media, uh, more than media stuff than I am. I was going to say, I mean, I think you won over a lot of Bearcats fans with kind of the way you, you coached the team this year and the way everything went, but she's, she's the cult hero. That's the, that's the person everyone loves. For good reason. Listen, <laughs> I, I married her. I, you know, listen, I, I know what I'm dealing with, but no, she, she's got the personality in the family. She certainly does, and she's got the. Uh, she's the one who challenges me on Twitter to do certain things, which I, I don't do. She's creative. Uh, so, like I said, life of the party. She she she's the one that you want to have. She's the one that I think the donors probably want to get to know. And when I think they're learning when they invite me to functions, they want her to come along with me. So. <laughs> uh, looking towards next year, uh, how are how are you with a with a younger roster? Obviously not a roster that's not finalized yet with a couple open spots, but um, how are you looking at the schedule? What do you envision in terms of of adding to the schedule? Uh, you're, you know, you're obviously you've got a philosophy on how to schedule to make the NCAA tournament. How does the schedule look uh, when we get back to basketball, hopefully in November? Uh, how, how does the, the Cincinnati schedule play out or, yeah, know. yeah. So no, no question. And so that, that's a balancing act, right? So you t- take your roster, which you didn't finalize yet. You know, we're involved with some really good players, uh, some, some guys that we feel like can come and can impact our team right away. So, um, you know, that, that oftentimes what's your team going to look like to equal, you know, what your schedule needs to look like. And, uh, we're always going to be aggressive, you know, chance favors the aggressor. We're always going to be aggressive in s- scheduling, you know, we have Xavier at home. We have Tennessee on the road. So we have some things that are already set where we're not in any SEC, AAC challenges yet. Uh, we are in New York with uh, Texas Tech, St. John's, and Arizona. So those are going to be really tough games. We're in conversations right now. Coach Lund does our scheduling, and he works tirelessly each and every day to get the home and homes we need. You know, we are in Northern Kentucky next year. Um, you know, the coach there, you know, really fought for a contract that he was foolish in doing. <laughs> that guy was a jerk. He's paying the price now. How about that guy? That, that guy's playing three road games in a four-year period. That, that's unheard of. It's supposed to be two home games. It's supposed to be two home games and two road games, but that head coach is playing three road games. So, uh, but, uh, but the other piece is, is we're really we're involved in trying to really get some quality home-and-home series to start it. 
those are challenging to do. And then we'll continue in our guarantee games to challenge ourselves. I mean, Colgate, you know, was top of their league. Vermont was won their league. Colgate won the regular season. Bowling Green won the regular season. We're going to continue to challenge our, ourselves in those games that you would consider to be guarantee or buy games. Load up probably on as, on as many home games as possible with such a young team. Well, you'd like to, you know, we played the least amount of home games, I think, in the last 15 years of University of Cincinnati this past yeah. year. Um, you know, but at the same time, we got to put ourselves in position. Again, guys, we were 7-5, and five, hadn't won any one of the games that you would say were quad one games in our non-conference, went 13-5, and five, won the regular season title, and were considered on potential on the right side of the bubble. So large part of that had to do with the scheduling. So, you know, we're going to continue to schedule the right teams. I, ideally, Chad, I'd like to be in the eight non-conference home game area, nine on a special, special year. But, you know, to play in Iowa, which we didn't schedule in a neutral site, that, that's a great game. And that's a great game because it's a quad one game because of the fact it's neutral. You know, a top 50 team, and you're probably not going to start a home-and-home series. So, you know, I've got to be a little bit flexible on the, on the eight non-conference home games every year. I do anticipate trying to get to that this year. So we're at a situation where we're, hopefully in the 17 home uh, home games uh, range for our season ticket holders. One last one, Justin. We got we got three more minutes with the, with him before he, he's got this big big boy work to do. Uh, the we talked a little bit about the transfer portal earlier on, but you know, it, I think you're, there's that trend towards some of these younger guys going in because it seems like they they might get rid of this penalty for having to sit out a year. You went after some some grad transfers last year, and I think that benefited a team that you inherited. How will if if these players allowed to transfer without having to sit out a year? How does that change your approach in terms of roster building? Whether it's the players you look at in the transfer portal, or even kind of the way you have to recruit your own guys on your own team. Well, I think you got to look at that in several different facets. So I think you, first, if you you got to look at how you're going to recruit. So you better be recruiting families and young men that you feel like you, you can really have a connection with, be honest with, and they can understand the process of being a college basketball player. Because not everybody comes in like the University of Kentucky and, you know, plays as freshman for 30 minutes a game. You know what I mean? So you, there better be a trust level there because it's easy to transfer now because you can go to the hills right away. So I think you better evaluate that. The second thing is you better evaluate your culture. Do you have a culture of trust? Do you have a culture of sacrifice? Do you have a culture of really being connected and have an understanding of where the direction of the program is going and guys are getting better and they enjoy being in your program. So those got to be evaluated. And even when those are in place, they're still going to be transfers. So, and then, you know, taking care of your own guys. Like, you know, one of my biggest fears outside of the obvious of getting the virus, which, you know, I think we, as coaches, we're constantly worried about is they're quarantined in all separate areas of the country and they're, they could at any time be contacted by somebody else because that's what happens in this profession when you're supposed to or not. Teams do it. We don't, but it happens. And so you're not as connected with your guys as you are if they're on campus. So those are all running through your head as a coach. To get to the recruiting piece, um, you know what? Naturally, I would like to have a recruit that's going to be with us for two or three years, multiple seasons. That would be more uh, advantageous to our growth and to their growth. Uh, and I think we're taking that approach in the ones that have hit the portal. Uh, but at the same time, the grad transfer market is still something that's going to be looked at. Uh, but I would obviously rather have somebody for multiple years, uh, even though that's not guaranteed that they will be eligible. So you are taking some risk if you take that approach and you need someone immediately. 
Thanks for your time, Coach. I want to uh, to let you out of here so you can make it to your surf lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're all full of jokes. That would be, that, now that would be, let me promise you, if that was really the case, don't you think that would be a picture that would be put on Twitter? Oh, I would. I would be very disappointed in your wife if she did not put a picture of you learning to surf on Twitter. That's well, what she's that, here will not, <laughs> that won't be happening. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate. Thanks, it. appreciate Thanks, it, coach. coach. That was Cincinnati head coach John Brandon. Special thanks to him for taking an hour out of his busy schedule while down in Florida and uh, and and checking in with us. You, you think how close you think he is to where Fickle is, Justin? Because Fick, Fickle's in Florida too. That's true. I you know, I, I, it's, they're probably that would be if if Lisa had a picture of of <laughs> Luke and John on the beach. Or you know maybe sitting side by side on on surfboards. <laughs> I think Cincinnati would Cincinnati Twitter would melt down a little bit over that. That was uh, that was a fantastic roughly fifty minutes with with Coach Brandon. Uh, any any immediate reaction takeaway to anything that we heard? Didn't take as many shots at us, at us as I thought he might. No, I thought he was going to get more digs in. I know that's you know I was I guess I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, maybe he's <laughs> saving them up. We'll see. Uh, no, you know it's just. It's it's funny. He's a guy who I think he, especially during the season, he he plays a lot of stuff close, and so it was interesting to go back and hear him talk about some of the like you know, Jaron texting him after the Colgate game. Like that's not something I knew. That's not something we had ever heard. Um, and just you know, some of the little stories about the thing as the season went along. I understand why he maybe doesn't want to share those things in the moment. So I thought it was interesting to hear him kind of go back and and talk about those things after the fact. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was very insightful uh, as to to how this season went along. And I, I brought up the, the his dad's memorial service because we were there, and we both had a chance to speak with John for a minute. And it was what about an hour before Wichita State and Tulsa kicked off, and you could tell he was already like, "Look, my dad really wanted would have wanted me to like do my job and and." see if we're going to win this championship, but, you know, society says I need to be here right now. You could tell the, the struggle back and forth was was very real. Well, it wasn't even that. You know, he pretty much immediately kind of started talking about the conference tournament, and then, like, his mom and his brother were right there, and that's what they both started talking to us right. about. And, you know, I, I think you and I were both kind of, you know, we didn't want to go up there and make them think about work or talk about that kind of stuff, and it's like, what he said about his dad and his family, that's true. Cause that, that is what they thought. Like, that's what they wanted to talk about in that moment. Maybe some of it was, you know, a distraction, but I just think that's the way that that family is. You, you don't get to be, and, and what people don't know, his brother Grant my, is an equally good basketball coach. I mean, uh, it, John always says the best coach in the family. But he took Walton Verona high school in Northern Kentucky is not a basketball power by any stretch of the imagination. And he took them on a run in the Sweet 16. He made the Sweet 16, took them on a run in the Sweet 16. Um, and then he stepped away, and everybody wondered why. It was because their dad's you know, declining health, and, and Grant was the caretaker, uh, for, you know, in large part. But that's a basketball family, and that was that was directly tied to their dad and how they were raised. And he definitely would have been sitting there uh, finding a way to watch that game if he had any possible, uh, you know, way to do so. Um, let's talk about you for a minute, buddy. Okay. 
you 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 had a chance to talk to athletic director John Cunningham, mm-hmm. and and you talked to him about what everybody wants to hear about licensing, <laughs> more more clothes, more T-shirts, more branding. Uh, without mentioning any other names outside of John Cunningham, did you get a sense that that was something that that he has you know at the front of his mind? And if you'd like more, also Justin has a a very lengthy Bearcats mailbag up on The Athletic uh, that answers some of this stuff as well, but we'll get it in podcast form here. Uh, are we going to be able to, like, you know, maybe one day order a UC-themed uh, shirt from Cincy Shirts or 513 Shirts, or are we going to be able to find more stuff out in stores? What was what was your take? So, the, I mean, I know you have heard some version of this question, you know, more than I have, certainly. Um <laughs> The thing that I thought was interesting is when I brought it up to John, he was not like, you know, huh, what do you mean? Or, or anything. like, it was clear he he knew, maybe didn't know that I was going to ask it, but he knew what I was getting at when I asked this question. So he's aware of it. And I think with everything going on right now, like who knows when stuff gets back to normal. And he mentioned they had a few meetings. I think he said specifically we had three big meetings on this licensing topic specifically before the kind of shutdown happened. Um, and that's a little bit harder to do the past couple of weeks with everyone being in different spots and just kind of trying to, to manage this whole thing. And as an athletic director, there's plenty of other responsibilities that come with that. But I, I think it was clear that I don't know that it's a top priority, but it's something he cares about. And, you know, I broached the subject by going back to what he said in his introductory press conference about, you know, he wanted every fourth grader in the city to have a a UC Bearcats t-shirt. We needed more Bearcats t-shirts than Buckeyes t-shirts is what he said. And this, I don't know that he was thinking about it from this perspective when he said that, but that all ties into this. And I'm sure he's heard from people, whether it's, you know, big money donors and important people or people who walk by him at a basketball game because we hear about it enough that we know it comes up. And so he didn't really get into specifics on how that's going to happen. I didn't expect him to, but I thought it was interesting that he was like, yeah, this is important. This is something we can improve on and do better. And and that's something we're going to work towards whenever we have the opportunity to do that. So, you know, I, I think fans should hold him and the university accountable to that. And if we get uh, a year from now or whenever, and it feels like anything hasn't changed, that topic can come up again. But it's certainly not something that he's just kind of put off to the side and, and doesn't seem to be thinking about. Another topic of that conversation, and what you and I probably get asked more than than any other question, what's going on with Luke Fickle's contract? Are you asking me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm asking you. You talk to the athletic director. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, I think it's going to happen, uh, and and we've gotten that answer, and it's it's funny, like, we've gotten that answer since, what, December, probably, from some form or another from different people, but and... Before then, like, it was something that was being mentioned to me on the, the, the second bye week that they were going to talk and try to start getting things right. hammered out, so it's been yeah. going on for a long time. And the the Michigan State, you know, so, okay, that's easy to say. But then when the Michigan State thing happened and, you know, I think you and I both tried to say this, he could have signed a lifetime richest contract in UC history. And that wouldn't necessarily kept him from going to Michigan State or right. to Baylor or wherever. Like that happened. We've seen that all the time. Those contracts aren't really worth anything when a big time money school comes calling. But it might have been a little bit harder. And I think more than anything, it would have signaled like. This is this is Luke Fickle. We understand how important he is to UC's football, to UC athletics. 
we want to you know reflect that in terms of the the contract that we give him and i think that all is still true now i honestly think you know cunningham didn't really go into this but i think part of it is you might not be able to announce something like this kind of under the current circumstances not because it can't get done just but because you know from a pr perspective it might seem a little weird but you know, every time I've talked to him, I get the sense that John Cunningham understands how important Luke Fickle is to the university. And I, I do think the the contract extension is going to happen. He kind of reiterated that, that the negotiations are ongoing and they're already pretty far down the road. I, I don't know when it'll actually be finalized, but uh, it's, again, in, in a similar fashion, it's certainly something he's thinking about and, and working towards. So I think it might have to happen after everything gets back to normal, or at least once things are a little bit more decided, but it hasn't been... I don't think fans should be worried that it's been kind of forgotten about or there's any issues there. All right. Well, how about you, buddy? How's life? How's quarantine life going with uh, with an infant? It's okay. You, you know, I, I've I've told a couple of people, like, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a four-month-old, so they're always in the house anyways. You know, it'd be nice if, fortunately, the weather's been a little bit nicer the past couple of days. We could send the two-and-a-half-year-old outside for a little bit. But I'm other than not being able to you know, go to games or be at the tournament or whatever, like having screaming kids in the house while I'm down here working isn't, isn't a totally new territory for me. So it's all going good. I'm, you're more, you know, kind of, I, I think energetic and keyed up than I am. How are, how are you handling it? You got a puppy, I guess. That's how you. That's dump. yeah. We, lots of walks, but lots of taking the puppy. We, we live on a very quiet street. Um, so we, and it's about a little over a quarter of a mile from my, my house to the end uh, there's a little like fork in the road you go all the way down onto the right side and then walk all the way back um so uh, getting out getting a little a little exercise which is uh you know something i'm very very strict about um <laughs> <laughs> very important part of my life uh but it's been good uh the puppy's been awesome like really really good pup through uh it'll be i guess what a week tomorrow that we've had him he's had two accidents and both of those were probably just um, were probably our fault, you know, for not staying on the schedule or veering from the schedule a little bit on how frequently we take him out. Um, but he wasn't potty trained when we got him. He's only had two accidents. So uh, that's pretty good. Uh, the little one is is driving us crazy. Um, <laughs> she, she's not a fan of, uh, of, of getting up and doing her schoolwork as necessary. But that shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wife is doing good. She's got a uh, she got an appointment with the specialist today uh, to see where things are at. So everything's going good. I I actually like I am I am made for this. Yeah, yeah. Like I I'm energetic because th- there's always something I've got to do. But if I don't have anything to do, I'm fine with just hanging <laughs> out. Like I'm. This has been great. I've I've been cooking a ton, making lunch and dinner every day. Um. So it, it's been, it's been different, but I mean, it, it, it's the, it's the, it, it, it takes us back to what you said last summer. Is there ever an off day in this job? And while there's still not really off days, cause we still have a lot of work to do. I was going to say, I still feel busy. It's just different, I guess, but it's, it is, it's different. That's for sure. It, we finally, at least like found a normal pace, right? Your first 18 months on the job have not been normal. No, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, look, you're, you're covering two programs, uh, and, and at times, you know, baseball and, and women's basketball and, and other stuff, 
that pops into it. So really, it's two full-time jobs. People don't really think of it that way, but uh, ultimately it is. Like, the, the whoever covers the Reds doesn't also cover the Bengals, mm-hmm. right? So we're covering the Reds and the Bengals here, basically. So there's a lot of action to it, a lot of activity to it, but it, it, it's kind of been good to, like, go into, like, fourth gear instead of sixth gear for for a couple weeks. Now... We're still we're only like 10 days, 10 days into this thing. Right. And we've got like six more weeks to go. So give me another week and I'll probably be ready to like, all right, like I'm supposed to be going to AAU tournaments now. Like we, we got to get things started again. I won't do it, but that's how my brain, you know, that's how my brain will uh, will, will operate. I, I have enjoyed downshifting, even if just a little. Uh, it probably would have been nicer, though, to do it with our own private beach in Florida. <laughs> what speaking of what what you what was your biggest takeaway from from that interview which you know i i, I thought was really good I, I don't it's not normal to to have uh, coach brandon go for you know 50 minutes like that no um i think the biggest thing for me is in talking about like what the future of this program looks like when you talk about kids like mike saunders and, and gabe and mason madsen I don't think it's an accident that you've got two coaches, three coaches, kids coming into this program. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I think when we look down the road and, and when you look at Zach Harvey and, and Micah, two really smart, well-rounded basketball players, Jeremiah Davenport as well. Um, I think you're going to see the collective like IQ of the team skyrocket. Not that it was ever low before, uh, but I, I think there's going to be a focus on that. And I think that is when we really shift into to seeing what John Brannon, his system, and especially his offensive system, like actually looks like, right? Because I think, and we probably should have asked him this. Um, I don't know why I didn't, but how much by the end of the year, how much of John Brannon's offense were we seeing? Right. I mean, not, not certainly not what he would have wanted to be, whatever percentage no. it was. No. Um, but I think looking ahead and, and you can do that with those three guys. And then he's not allowed to talk about Tari Eason who is committed, but not signed yet would be signing on April 15th, but that probably is not going to happen, right. um, for a while, but he's fully committed to Cincinnati. No concerns, no worries there, but you're seeing a higher level of, uh, of basketball IQ being a, a primary priority. And I think when when he talks about those guys, I think that's you know that's what you take away from it. Um, and then the the Mason Madsen line that's fantastic. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we're going to be using that one quite a bit yeah. in the future. That that was fantastic because he is an irritant. Like he is specifically that guy that you want on your team, but you hate it when he's on the other team. Yeah, I remember talking um, to one of somebody with the team earlier this season, and they've gone to to watch him. And I was like, "How'd it go?" And they're like, "Well, Mason got ejected from the game." <laughs> and it was like not a total shock that they were kind of no. saying it that way. So you know, yeah, I think that's a guy who uh, UC fans are 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 going to enjoy having on their team. But yeah, I think it, that was a, a little bit of a glimpse into the future. I, the stuff from this year, I mean, most of it you and I knew. Um, there were a couple small things that, that he let out that, that we didn't, but, um, just fascinating to, to talk about the, the journey of, of going through 
what they went through this year. And, you know, he's not going to talk about it, but all of that with the backdrop of, of his dad declining and, and what a lot of people don't know that really started in the trip to the Virgin Islands. Yeah, they spent a whole they spent a whole day at the hospital there. Yeah, his dad fell in the Virgin Islands, um, and that's what you know. It, if you go back and you you think about some of those times that he looked kind of distant on the bench during that tournament, it, it wasn't just what was happening on the floor. There, there was a lot going on, and I, I will I I, I want to commend him for the way he handled that because with everything that was going on, like it would have been easy to just disconnect yeah you know seven and five your dad's not doing well you know life is kind of you know up in the air and instead hunkered down and and took care of business while also taking care of his dad and taking care of his family um it was uh it was a very admirable job done by him and and you got the true sense of the brandon family right like they talk about the, the values and the things that that family's about. You got to see it really on display from him throughout the season uh, from the backside, because, you know, we, we knew what was going on more than the general public and, and watching how he handled it for me, I thought was, um was really interesting. Didn't you? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I tried to get him to talk about it. I didn't expect him to, but I think if you talk to anyone close to him or kind of close to the program, they'll tell you just what like an unbelievable coaching job they felt like he did this season uh start to finish you know personal professional everything kind of going on and uh and i i know he, he's he's not the type of person that that will maybe talk about it that way but i've certainly heard it from a handful of people and I, i'm sure you have too yeah all right man you, you got anything else you want to talk about or what do you what are you watching on t- do you get to watch tv are you are you have you streamed anything are you what's a normal day look like for Justin right now outside of trying to work in the basement through screaming little uh, Mickey and the roadster racers. That's a, that's, that's a big one. Uh, Llama, llama, red red pajama. Uh, Yeah. You know, do some, do do a little bit of Paw Patrol Peppa Pig for some reason. She's, you know, very cultured, obviously. So I enjoyed enjoyed Peppa Pig. I'm not going to lie. Back in in Kelsey's days. I, I enjoyed watching Peppa Pig. The one I couldn't stand was um oh the uh, the the damn it. I can't remember the name of it now. Go ahead. What were you saying? I'll I'll we, figure it out. We have the like we have the Disney Plus thing and it's we my wife and I try as parents to just not too quickly like go to that crutch, you know, we we realize especially when the weather's bad, like we don't want them to just use that as as the way to distract, but when things get really hairy, it's 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 hard to just know that like Frozen is sitting there for 85 minutes and it'll calm her down if 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 we need it and and not use it. So, but like fortunately today she's she's been outside a little bit cuz it's finally nice, so hopefully that continues. Do you have a trampoline yet? Or is that <laughs> that's still Caillou. That's that stupid kid's name. Caillou. <laughs> You're not doing Caillou, are you? I don't even know that one fortunately, so. Don't. If if it comes on and you ever see it, run the other way. Caillou is the absolute worst. Good good to know. That's uh, that. Yeah, that's my parenting tip for the day. Don't let your kid. Don't let your kid watch Caillou. It only took seventy minutes for us to go full Daddington on the podcast. So that's pretty (laughs) good. Uh, Are you are you depressed 
that there's no opening day today. Like you're you're a Cincinnatian. You're a hardcore Cincinnatian. It's weird, right? Like you know, a little bit different now. But I used to before this job. I used to work downtown, and that was like always you know favorite day of the year by far, just because people are out and about, and you know, no one actually cares about work, even if they're at work, and and so. It's it's weird to think that it would actually be today just because, you know, nothing's been going on for a couple of weeks. So it's strange for sure. I, uh, I I miss that it's not opening day, um, but I would have been in a really bad, like really weird situation because Mo and Tony were supposed to do a, a morning show uh, like 10 to 1 or whatever from the Holy Grail. And that meant I was filling in for Mo from three to six. First pitch was at four o'clock. I would have been doing a radio show that literally there wouldn't have been a single person listening to. <laughs> like, you know, I I would I would normally say like my dad would be listening, but my dad would have been listening to the Reds game. Of course. Zero chance he would have been listening to me. I would have bet Taryn in the in the producer's box would have been paying attention, more attention to the Reds game than he would have been me. I could have talked about anything for those two hours, and nobody would have known it. You could have let the bumps just play full songs, like you're yeah, an actual like FM DJ. You could, yeah. you know, just just <laughs> played it through. It's I, it's it's funny. I I don't want to name drop, but you know, I was talking to my coworker. Yeah, I'm going to uh my coworker C Trent Rosecrans because we we're talking about how like it's was a great off season for the Bengals so far. And like, they're going to draft Joe Burrow and the Reds obviously have this historic off season. They spend a bunch and of money. All going to get canceled. Yeah. And, and, and they're not playing. Like it's the most Cincinnati. There was finally some yeah. excitement about Cincinnati pro sports. And even though, you know, you could talk about UC basketball, like have a chance to go to the tournament and, and in maybe too predictable fashion, they just canceled all sports. At UC football, greatest recruiting class in program history. Everything's on hold. Xavier basketball, the, one of their best recruits and recruiting classes in program history. Everything's on hold. Like, it's the most Cincinnati thing ever. Like, everything is turning. Everything is starting to turn up Cincinnati. And we get nothing. Should've, we should have known better. We should have known that the world was going to end right when everything started to turn for Cincinnati sports. It should have been, been a sign when the Reds were going out and spending $150 million or whatever it was. We should have known at that point in time. We should have been like, wait, something... There's a disturbance in the force that we need we need to be paying more attention to because things are looking up in Cincinnati right now. But yeah, it's uh it's very strange. I, it, it it has kept me from I would have been on the first two days of the NCAA tournament for Mo, which two more shows nobody would have listened to. <laughs> um, and then I would have been on on opening day. Uh which, you know, would have been highlights of a of a career. Hey, I was on the radio for I I was I was part of the opening day broadcast. That's right. <laughs> the part that nobody was listening to. The, the, part where, the part where I just did play by play of the Reds game sitting in the 1530 studio. <laughs> oh, brother. All right, man. Well, thanks for being a part of that. It hey, was uh I always appreciate you having me on. Very kind of you. It was uh, it was very insightful from John Brandon, and he's a guy that doesn't like to uh, to open up much, but I think we got a lot out of him, and uh, we learned he is not learning how to surf, or at least allegedly not learning how to surf. He claims. He claims. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get a hold of Lisa and find out what's really going on. <laughs> I thought we were gonna get her on the podcast. He opened the door to having her on the podcast. Yeah, I, I still think that's a trap. <laughs>
he he knows better than that. Although he said like that's you know she's she's the one she's the life of the party. She's the one people want to see. So we'll we'll know things that are, have definitely changed if she goes up to a post game podium at some point. <laughs> He's gonna send her up after wins. Talk about things. All right, man. Much appreciated. That is Justin Williams from the Athletic. Not to be confused with Jason Williams from the Atlantic or the Enquirer or anywhere else. Uh, check him out on the Athletic. He's doing some good stuff. And uh, keep checking in to Bearcat Journal as well. I will have a football too deep uh, coming up here shortly. I've got a returning players article on Micah Adams Woods coming up from uh, from Brent Young. Recruiting stuff from Brett Stein and uh, Mick Walker. So the content never sleeps, even though sports is uh, taking an, ex- an extended nap. Thanks, it buddy. Been, it hasn't been fun trying to write about sports without sports, has it? It's been a little tricky. All right, man. You have a good one. Thanks for joining me. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Justin Williams. That was John Brandon about 20 minutes ago. It's the BCJ podcast presented by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com. All right, brother. That was great. That was. I thought it was uh, was very good. I thought he was a little more candid than normal. Yeah, Even I think. Still guarded, but. Right, but he, we got him. I feel like we got him to loosen up on certain things that he wouldn't have otherwise. I wasn't expecting him to drop an asshole on the pod, so we got that. I, I love that he was like, it's a podcast, so I can <laughs> You know, I, we missed a sorry Dan right there. Oh, we did. That would have been a great one. That would have been the perfect sorry Dan, and we totally let it slip. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, well. Can't be perfect all the time, I guess. This is my third that's podcast it. in three days. I'm tired. That's right. <laughs> all right, man. Talk to you. See you, brother. Yeah.